So let's get into uh, today. This is the last week we're going to talk about this uh, particular um, concept, Are You Helping, for a little while. Uh, it's sort of a theme for the year for us, really something that we're, we're hopefully asking uh, as individuals and as a church. I mean, that's just how it works as far as I'm concerned. You know, if we want to have a healthy church family, I think we have to address the families in our church. If we want to have healthy community uh, within our church, I think we have to address how do we interact with community outside of our church. If we want to address uh, are we helping as a church, I think the best way to do that is for us to ask, like, well, am I actually helping in my life? Like, am I a helpful person? Is my helping helpful? Like, right, that's what this really boils down to. It's like, of course, we would all say I'm helping. Of course, I'm trying to contribute. Of course, I'm, uh, I'm going to work every day from nine to five. Of course, I'm, you know, feeding my kids when they're hungry. Of course, I'm, I, the question that we're really concerned about asking is when I help, does it help? Right? Are the things that I'm doing to contribute, because you can't live here and not make a difference in some way and not make an impact in some way. The question is, is my helping helpful? And, uh, and to, to consider that, we've been looking at Galatians 6. Um, like I said, we're going to look one more time today at Galatians 6. In three weeks, I made it through Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. <laughs> Thought you might applaud that. Three weeks, I covered... One verse. Uh, today we're going to look at verse 2. And, uh, and then, you know, on down the road a little bit, we'll probably come back to Galatians 6. I think it's a pretty good theme spot for us for the year. But Galatians chapter, chapter 6, verse 2 starts right here. Share each other's burdens. Do we remember what he said first? He said, dear brothers and sisters, uh, if you see somebody who's caught up in some sin, they need some help, show up and help them. If you're godly, then, then the godly among us would show up and say, like, can I help in any way? And don't get caught up in the same kind of traps and the same kind of sins and the same kinds of addictions and the same kinds of problems and really the same kinds of uh, religions and this sort of small God concept. Don't do, don't do that. Instead, if you really want to help somebody, share each other's burdens. And in this way, Obey the law of Christ. Now, that is primarily where I am interested in looking at today. What does he mean whenever he says, in this way, obey the law of Christ? Because we spent most of last week talking about how the law is misunderstood, how this concept of religion is misunderstood, really kind of ultimately arriving at the at the at the conclusion that because of Jesus, there isn't really a law in the same way that we thought there was. And in fact, Jesus shows up to say the law never really was what you thought it was. That was never the point. The thing that you made the law, you made the law about the law. You made the book about the book. You made the, the rules about the rules. And Jesus is saying, no, it's actually always been about something else. And Paul is saying, actually, it was always about sharing each other's burdens. It was always about helping other people. It was always about caring for each other. So I want to sort of explore that because initially I hear that and I, and I think that kind of sounds like a concept of religion from someone who doesn't like religion, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound like your friends who are like, I don't know if there's really like, I don't know if religion matters. Just treat people with love and kindness and help wherever you can. It kind of sounds like a no religion religion. Share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Care for each other. And I'm not saying that Paul is saying, you know, there's no such thing as religion. I'm not saying that, I'm saying before we totally dismiss the notion that caring for others is actually 
the point, I think we should explore a couple of things and consider what Jesus taught on the same subject. Does that sound all right? Because who's Paul, right? I mean, Paul just this has been Pharisee who has a lot of really strong opinions about things. And, and at times it's like, Paul, you're, you're kind of annoying me here. You know, like you're, you're, why are you, why are you so opinionated on this? Why do you feel like you can just, you think you can just throw out the law? You think you can just say, share each other's, oh, what's that, Paul? You, what does Jesus have to say on it? Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 22. Paul is just trying to repeat what Jesus says. Verse 36, Jesus is asked, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? What is the law all about? Whenever they say what's the most important commandment in the law of Moses, they're basically referring to the whole of the scriptures as they knew them. The book they had, the book they held, the religion they had, they asked Jesus, what's the book about? What's the, what is it actually, what's the most important thing? And what, how do we prioritize this stuff? How do we boil it down? And, uh, and Jesus doesn't dodge the question. He could have said, well, you can't boil, I mean, there's so many things in there, so much stuff, like you can't really boil it down to one thing, like, you got to do it all. You got you to follow every single rule, but Jesus doesn't hesitate in his response, and he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Jesus is asked, what are the scriptures about? Because they believed that the ceremony, the regulations of Moses were everything that mattered in their relationship with God. They believed that was the blueprint for all their divine interaction. They believed that their sole source of hope was some set of laws and some set of rules. This is who they thought God was, and it's how they thought God wanted them to live. And so they asked Jesus, what does God want from us? Can you boil it down for us? Because we can't handle everything that's there. They thought it was about the things, right? The, they thought it was about the buildings and the, and the rooms within the buildings and the priests and the clothes that the priests were wearing whenever they talked to them about God. And, and they thought it was about the sacrifices that they were supposed to bring. And they thought it was about the songs that they were supposed to sing. And they thought it was about the prayers that they were supposed to pray. They thought it was about the things, all of the rituals and all of these, you know, the titles and the tithes and the job and the sermon and the songs. And Jesus makes it clear that the things aren't the point. What was the point all along? Hippy-dippy Jesus says the point is love. Actually, can I boil it all down? Yeah, I can boil it all down. It was all about loving God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. That was the actual point. And I know what we would say to that if we think of our own religion and our own songs and our own sermons and our own rituals and our own gathering like this and all of the things that we like about it. We would say, well, yeah, that's why we do that stuff, because we love God, ritual, song, sacrifice, prayer, that's what we do those things for. We do those because we love God. And that's true to some extent, right? Would you say, I come here because I love God. I sing the songs because I love God. Your praise will ever be on my lips. That's what I meant by that. I meant I love God. I'm trying to declare that. I'm celebrating his love for me as a way of expressing my love for him in return. I'm just saying, like, he loved me first, and so I, I love God back. Like, that is the point, your things might be motivated by love. You might be completely committed to God, heart, soul, and mind. But I want us to pause for a moment, and this is what we're going to get into in our sermon notes, and consider whether there might be more to it than that. Or perhaps less to it than what we make of it. Does that make sense? That There might be more to it than the rituals. There might be less to it than the rituals. 
But there's definitely something else because whenever Jesus is asked, boil the whole thing down, he boils it down to something that is incredibly simple and incredibly complex at the same time. That is incredibly straightforward and also incredibly big. And I can tell you don't know really so much where I'm headed with this. So let's get into some sermon notes and see if we can get some clarity. Uh, The word love here is a pretty simple idea. It's not a fuzzy feeling, not even an action uh, on the part of, of the one doing the loving. When Jesus talks about love, he talks about a new set of priorities. First thing, first blank that you'd fill in there, he is talking about a new set of priorities. So a song doesn't cut it unless it changes our priorities. Unless the song is a declaration or a commitment to something that we actually intend to change when the three minutes and 45 seconds of the song is over. A ritual doesn't cut it. A religious thing doesn't cut it. Jesus says real love actually reprioritizes everything. Heart, soul, and mind. The law of Christ, as Paul articulates it, is so much bigger and so much smaller, right? So much more complex and so much kind of simpler than what we make of it. It's more than the rituals and the religious activity and the temple worship stuff. Let me try to articulate it this way. I have a couple of examples that I think hopefully are going to land this a bit. And if you have any questions, you can actually absolutely text in. I'd like for this to be a bit of a conversation among us. Um, but, but I want you to consider this. The rituals, the song, the sacrifice, the prayers, the things that we do when we gather, they're not bad things. They're not not love. Does that make sense? The songs, it's not not love. I could sing a love song to my wife, and it's not not love. But it doesn't really make a difference if I don't also treat her with some level of love and respect. It doesn't make a difference if I also don't say, I know you don't really care about the song so much. I know that's not really, it doesn't really do much. Megan couldn't care less about music ever. Not impressed at all. I know, right? I I married a woman who, if there was never music in the world again, she would be like, oh, I didn't even notice. I didn't know, like, (laughs) she thinks the football game today is about the football game and not (laughs) J-Lo. What? (laughs) What kind of world is she living in? It's not not love. It's not not worship. But it's also not really what God is asking for. It doesn't actually reprioritize. It's really just the intention of all of our rituals and religion really just at their best could just sort of inject within us the intent to love God more. They are not loving God more in and of themselves, but they are sort of this. Let me explain it this way. Your religion is to God what your kids' art projects are to you. Let's just sit with that for just a minute. Your religion is to God, your your rituals, your songs, your prayers, our songs, our prayers, our gathering like this is kind of at times a little bit like kids' art projects are for their parents. They're sweet in a way. It's kind of nice. Yeah. I, it's, it's, I'm thankful in a way when I get an art project. I'm touched in a way. And in another way, I'm kind of like, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> Anybody but me? Anybody but me? Like, I like this whale with macaroni for teeth and a glittery underbelly. And I like that you attach it to a necklace that you made out of my shoelaces and that I can wear it around. 
how long do I have to wear it around before I can kind of get rid of this thing I don't really need and relace my vans, right? This is what I mean by, like, our religion can kind of, does this make sense? Does this kind of connect a little bit? I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm not saying that our heart isn't in the right place, unless our heart isn't in the right place, because there are times, and I'll get into this more in just a moment, um, but just for, the, just for the sake of it now, there are times when it's kind of clear that whenever my kids are doing sort of an art project for me, they like to do it. It's fun for them. They're also just kind of making a mess and having fun. And it's nice that they're thinking about me while they're doing it, but on another level, is that really reprioritizing? Is that really an expression? I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Maybe they're capable of more pure love than I am. Uh, but let's get into the second reason and, what, and, and where I'm kind of headed with what could happen here. What, what might Jesus be talking about whenever he says, actually, let's boil it all down to something way more simple than that. Let's talk about love. When Jesus talks about love, he is talking about listening to him. He is talking about actually paying attention to what he teaches. He is talking about actually getting back to his purposes for us, his agenda. Jesus has, I have a, I have a fun way of talking about this in a not-so-fun way. Um, I'm going to do the not-so-fun way first. Is that good? And then we'll come back to, to a little more fun about it. Jesus has a lot of things to say about a lot of things, and most Christians aren't interested in most of it. It's 2020, right? It's an election year. Does anybody know that? <laughs> the, the nation's a little divided. I hate to be the one to inform you that. Um, I'm sorry to be bringing you down with this bad news on Sunday morning. You didn't even know, uh, but the nation's a little divided on a couple of things. We can't seem to agree on a couple of things. We're a little mad at each other on either side of this. And each side, if they're Christians, would love to claim Jesus as their own would love to quote Jesus as being on their side. And I would just say, if we're really looking at Jesus for who he truly is, then the liberals should be pretty upset with him because he's too conservative. And the conservatives should really be upset with him because he's too liberal. The, whatever side of the fence you're on, if you feel like Jesus is on that side of the fence with you, I'm just saying you're not paying attention, you're not listening he should be upsetting something. If Jesus always agrees with you, you're not listening to Jesus. You have created God in your own image instead of trying to look into the scriptures or trying to look into the spirit of God himself and discover who he actually is. If he agrees with you on everything, I'm just like, I'm not sure that's God. Because <laughs> Jesus Christ steps into human history to say, all of you guys who thought you knew who God was, I was just coming here to tell you, you were wrong. And they killed him. That's the narrative of Jesus. So why wouldn't we expect the same to be true today? That whenever we're like, I know who God is. Why wouldn't we expect Jesus to show up in, in really the best way that we have? Saying like, yeah, all the stuff you thought God was. You're wrong again. What is it with you people and wanting to make God in your own image? What is it with you people and wanting to make God be on your side, on your political party's side? What is it with you people and wanting God to be on your side and not your neighbor's? What is it about us that wants this, all this. so let's add to the metaphor um, of kids. Let's come back to a fun way of talking about this. Your religion, the rituals, the, the songs, the prayers, the sermons and such, 
is a little bit like a little bit like when my kids ignore my command to go to bed because they're dressing up in costumes to put on a play for me. Catch the whole metaphor, okay? Are you, are you catching the whole thing? Yeah, but I, I don't want you to dress up in costumes right now and put on a play for me. Oh, but it's for you, Dad. We, did the, we wrote the whole thing for you. And they didn't write anything down, okay? There's never any notes. No, but I, I don't want you to do that, though. I actually, you know, you need to go to bed right now. Like, really, that's, if you love me, why aren't you listening to me? Any parent ever said that? Anybody who works with children at all ever said that? Anybody who's married to a doofus ever said that? If you love me, then why aren't you, why are you singing songs? Why don't you go and pick your socks up, right? <laughs> if you love me, why aren't you listening is this connecting some? If we could pause long enough to be honest about it, I believe we would have to admit that whenever we're doing these things other than the things, other than actually listening to Jesus, it is because, and this is a statement I'd like to put up here for us to consider for just a moment, it's because we tend to make our faith about the things we like more than the things God likes. We really want it to be that. If God came around and said, I don't know about the way that you guys do the church thing, and I don't know about the way that you sing your songs, and I don't know, actually, really, what I want you to do is this. There's a whole lot of us who would be like, I don't know, God. <laughs> I don't know. But the way that we do things, we people are not going to be happy about that. If we start doing it differently, people really like it the way we're doing it. That's why we're doing it that way. We make our faith about things we like more than what God likes. And that's what Jesus is really speaking to here whenever he says, can you boil the whole thing down to what, like, what's the most important commandment? It's Sabbath, isn't it? Isn't it, Jesus? It's, it's the most important thing is that people wouldn't work on the Sabbath, isn't it? It's, it's that they would tithe to the temple, isn't it? It's that they would come and they would give their finances to the church. Tell them that. Tell them that's the most important thing. We've got to keep this thing floating somehow, right? And that's the most important thing, right? Tell them it's, the, t- tell them it's the, uh, something political. Tell them it's that we've got to get this law passed or we've got we to gotta change this and that. Like, tell them that's the most important thing. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I, can, I can boil it down for you. You don't know what the most important thing is? It's love. If you really want to listen to me, you really want to know what it's actually about, God likes it when you love each other. God likes it whenever you live sacrificially for other people. God likes it whenever you live like you're not the most important person on the planet. That's what God wants. It's not the rituals and songs and prayers and such that are the primary currency in the law of Christ. It's love. But how do we put that into real action? How do we, like, okay, how do I love this God? I don't, I can't really see, and I, I can't, I, I don't know how to actually interact with this God sometimes, and there, there are space in my life where I'm kind of just like, okay, so God is this other world thing and this other, other realm thing. How do, how do I do that? And Jesus actually continues in verse 38, whenever he was asked what is the greatest command, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But he's not done. Uh, many translations would actually, you could absolutely translate this whenever he says this is the first and greatest commandment. Um, put the next slide up for me if you don't mind. 
There, Oliver. Uh, can we tell Oliver, thank you so much, running that back there. Uh, just another one of these days where we never seem to notice when it goes right, and it is going right today. I appreciate you helping us out back there. Um, a second is equally important. If we really were to read this in the original Greek or heard Jesus saying it, he would have said, the most important thing is that you would love God. And, and the other thing, which is exactly the same thing, equally important, exactly, literally the same thing. They are inseparable. Command one and command two are not command one and command two. They're just one command. They are not separated at all. They are equally important. You can't do one without the other. You cannot love God if you don't. And this is the, the latter half of this verse. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. That we see what Jesus is saying and how crazy this really is. How much this flips the whole thing on its head. How much it throws out the rituals and the songs and the prayers. And the, it was like, oh, I do love God. I love him all the time. I love him in my car alone. I love him when I come to church and I close my eyes and I sing, a small, sing my songs. And I, I love him whenever I write my check and I love him. And then Jesus says, yeah, well, you can't love God and not love your neighbor. That's equally important. That's the same thing. You can't have one without the other. You can't have an isolated, loving God kind of relationship. So the last blank in your sermon notes, if you can't see it coming already, is loving people. What does Jesus talk about whenever he's talking about love? He's talking about loving people. I find it very challenging to imagine a scenario or to imagine, to imagine a people who would claim to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ becoming the prominent religion of the people in a way that oppresses anyone. I find it very challenging for Christian to be associated with hatred of anybody for any reason. I find that to be completely incompatible. This is what I mean whenever I say there's a whole lot of people who really, really like Jesus until they pay attention to what he actually has to say. And, and probably many will never pay attention to what he actually has to say. In the broader scope of the scriptures, what Jesus is saying, if we could go back one slide, I'd like to have that verse 40 up for a second. The entire law and all the demand. Do you understand what that's saying? Like how huge of a statement this actually is from Jesus. He's saying the whole thing, the whole book as you know it, the whole thing is about this. Love God and love your neighbor. The whole, all the demands of the prophets, all the laws, all the rituals, all the songs, all the prayers. So are the rituals wrong? Are the songs wrong? Are the prayers wrong? No, they could be great. But they can't be about themselves. The ritual can't be about the ritual. The religion can't be about the religion. The song can't be about the song. The prayer can't be about the prayer. It has to be about loving people, about becoming a more loving person. Is this clicking? Is it making sense? Jesus is saying all of that stuff was not there to weigh you down. Anything that's in there is there to teach you how to love. The whole book is not about the whole book. And that's a real problem for us at times. It's a problem for us as Westerners. It's a problem for us as people who have always been able to read and people who 
like to read these things and study them and figure out what they mean and then just do it. But Jesus is saying it's actually not about that. It's actually to teach you how to love. If it teaches you how to become more obsessed with what it's all about or it teaches you how to, you know, become more about your religious stuff and more about your rituals, then you're missing the point because it's actually there about this is not, again, not my opinion on it because I'm, I'm a bit of an academic type whenever it comes to these things. Like, in a way, if it was about memorizing as much of this as possible, then, man, I'd crush it, right? In a way, if it was about understanding the literature, literature here and just, like, being able to tell you everything, that it's, everything that's happening and all the layers beneath it, like, that's, that's me, man. I'm, I'm obsessed with that stuff. But Jesus is the one who's coming along, railing against even that nature of mine to say, like, make sure that the point never becomes about you figuring out the whole thing, cracking the code, and make sure that you always remember that every story that is in here, every, uh, every aspect of the narrative that this whole thing was to teach you how to love and to teach other people how to love. That was what it was all there for. And this... <laughs> This is why when Jesus sees people at the temple making a profit off of people by telling them, hey, God wants you to buy doves and then go in there and sacrifice them. This is why Jesus flips over tables and says, you guys are thieves and liars. That is not what God wants. I know it's in the book. That's not why it was in the book. You get what I'm saying? Like this is, this is why Jesus says, this is one of the most scandalous things he says in all the scriptures. I should have put it on the screen. I did not. Uh, I'll Facebook it out this week. All right, we're going to see where this actually is. But one of the most scandalous things Jesus says to us is whenever he says, hey, if you show up to church and you have wronged somebody before you got there, you remember that you hurt somebody on your way or like while you're praying, something comes to mind and you're like, oh, yeah, I kind of really, really let them have it on on the way in this morning or I kind of really, that Jesus actually says, yeah, leave the church and go fix it. Jesus says, go be reconciled to your neighbor. Don't sing those songs before you seek forgiveness and before you forgive other people. This is what Jesus is saying. Don't, don't pray those prayers. Don't, don't, don't do that church pretend thing. Like God is actually distra- distracted by that. God is, in a sense, God is not listening to that. God is waiting to see it. Are you going to listen to me? Do you like your rituals more than you like what I'm actually asking you to do? Because I'm actually asking you to be reconciled, to seek peace among people, to seek to love people well. It's also why Jesus, right after he gives this uh, command in, um, that was actually, it's Matthew 5, 23 is where that actually is. If you wanted to see that uh, in context, this, the story that he, or the parable that he tells. But then Jesus has the most famous parable of all, and I'm going to read it. We can put the whole thing up here. Uh, it's a little long, but you know it. You don't even need me to read it. You know this story. A man was going down. This is right after in Luke. We were looking at Matthew's account of the great commandment. Uh, he gives it in Luke too, and in Luke's account of it, um, he, it's like verse 27 and 28. Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor. And somebody's like, okay, got it. Cool, but who's my neighbor though? What do you mean whenever you say love my neighbor? And Jesus, I don't need this anymore. Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. A priest, a preacher, right? The the highest ranking religious official that these people had. Jesus is like, uh, you want to know who, he's just been asked, how do you obey the law? And he brings up for them a person who knows the law better than anybody. 
who follows the law as the law better than anybody, who could quote more of the scripture than anybody, who does all of that better than anybody. And he says, this guy comes up on somebody that needs help, and he passes by on the other side of the road. That's a little scandalous because there's probably priests standing around whenever he says this. And then he takes it a step further. He says, so too, a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw somebody who needed help, right? Somebody trapped on the side of the road. Somebody caught up in some sin, maybe, or maybe somebody just caught up in some bad luck or something's not gone right in their life. They really need some help. A Levite comes, and whenever he comes in, he passes by on the other side of the road. A Levite is like just a really, really uh, another high-ranking official, not quite as high-ranking as a priest, but very, very involved in temple worship. There were certain aspects of what they did in the church that only Levites were even allowed to do. There were places only Levites were allowed to go. They were very high-ranking religious and ritualistic figures. Like they were, there were songs only Levites could sing, right? Only, they, they were the only ones that got microphones for certain parts of the service. Like they, they were this, this high-ranking, and Jesus is like, yeah, he passes by too. Leaves them on the other side too. And then a Samaritan. Are we familiar with this story? We've heard the story of this good Samaritan. We name organizations after him. We love this story about Jesus, except I don't know if we really know what he's saying here. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Why is this so scandalous? Why is this such a big deal? Because for us, we miss the point a little bit, because we hear Samaritan, we're like, oh yeah, Jewish people, Samaritan people, it's all Bible people. Good people all around. But a Samaritan, there's a lot of problems with this right here. A Samaritan is, first of all, a major, major enemy to any Jewish person. They've been at war with each other for years. These are, it's, you know, textbook racism, for starters. It's just like they're born over there. They look like that. They dress like that. Their skin is a little different shade than ours. So they're bad people, right? There's just that. But it's kind of worse than that. It's not just textbook racism. Samaritans are wrong about religious stuff. They don't follow the same book. They don't have the same religion as the Jewish people. So Jesus is asked, how do you follow the rules? How do you follow the law? And he tells a story where he makes the hero somebody who has a different book of law. Somebody who has a different Bible. He has, this is a, there's a lot of problems with this as the example for us, but I'm going to try to give an example anyways. I would say the closest thing that we have, um, the reason it doesn't work is because I know that you don't hate these people, but if you did, or if you know anybody who does, then it becomes a really good example. The best example would be him saying, uh, you know, somebody really needed help. This is Jesus talking again. Somebody really needed help, and a preacher uh, of the gospel passed by, didn't want help at all. And then like a really, really good church person, like somebody who tithes and serves and, and sings and prays and all that, they passed them up. They didn't want to help either. And then a Muslim showed up and helped, and they got it right. They pleased God. I mean, again, I, there's some problems with that as an analogy, but I think that gets a little closer to what it would have felt like to the people standing there. Jesus saying, God himself saying, yeah, this, this person over here who doesn't even believe the same book as you got it better than you did. What a ridiculous and scandalous and crazy thing. Did I have more of that story? Or is that where it ends? I don't think you need to see more if there's not. Oh, man, there's more. He went and he bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. You know, you know the rest of this, right? You don't actually need to. It's just saying, here's all the stuff he did for him. Here's all the ways that he helped. Here's the, the person that you don't think should be the hero of the story. You think he should be the enemy of the story. You think he doesn't even believe the right stuff. 
He didn't even have the right religion. He's doing all this for all the wrong reasons, for the wrong God. His God's got the wrong name. He worships in the wrong temple. Then he put the man in his own donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day he took out money, gave it to the innkeeper. He said, take care of this guy. He's like, yeah, keep the change. And if there's more, I'm going to come back and I'm going to pay for that too. You make sure he gets a good breakfast and you don't send him on his way until he is well-fed and completely better. I got some other stuff I got to do, some other people I got to help maybe. I don't know what this Samaritan's up to. But he leaves and he comes back and Jesus says, which of these three got it right? Which of these three was like most like a neighbor? Which one of these three followed the law? You asked me what the most important part of the law is and I just told you, love God and love people. Which one of these people followed the law? And they had to say, the one who's not even one of us? The one who doesn't even believe all the right stuff? The one who doesn't read the right book? The one who, man, this is, this is controversial, right? This is not the, the direction that I would go um, if I were just making this up on my own, right? If I got to write this thing, if I got to tell the stories as Jesus did, I probably wouldn't have made a hero of one of my stories, somebody who didn't believe any of the right stuff. But he chooses to, and we got to reconcile with that we got to come back around and say, I might have missed the point somewhere. If that's what Jesus says the point is, I'm, I might have missed the point a little bit. I really like my rituals and my religion. I really like being right in all of these ways that I like being right. I like knowing the answers. I like being able to crack the code. All right, can we... Um, pause for just a second. I want to see if we have any questions that get texted in. And while I'm looking at that, does anybody have anything that you would like to share, a question that you would raise? And I totally get it. I know that uh, there's definitely a portion of what I just said where you could be like, wait a second, Drew, are you saying Muslims are better Christians than Christians? And I'm saying, no, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying like Jesus seems to be saying that there is something about following God and something about really loving God and something about what this thing is really actually about that might actually make it more difficult if you make the book about the book and not make the book about love. Like that, that's all I'm trying to say here. But does anybody in the room have anything to, to ask real quickly or share or say? No. Did I say anything that I need that you're going to tell me this afternoon? Like, ooh, Drew. Any emails? I'll always take the emails. It's fine. But if we can avoid an email, <laughs> we can just talk about it now. All right, I do have one texted question. Anybody? Don't you, just, you, just, you guys just think about it for a second. All right, you think about it. Does the art project example make it so that we can't say someone, <laughs> someone else's art project sucks? I didn't say sucks. They did. Somebody else said that, all right? So if you get people, it's a good thing it's anonymous. Not even the Lord knows who, not even the Lord knows where robo arisen texts come from. Does the art project example make it so that we can't say that someone, uh, do we understand the question here? I think there, there's, there's a question about this, this sort of example that I use. And if we think of our praise, our, um, our worship to God as, if we use that example, does it kind of protect against, um, I think the thing that we would have to be most sensitive to here is considering, um, let's use it as, as this example. Hey, Mac, good morning. It's my bro back there, little, little boy just waking up. Um, an example that I think would hit pretty close to home for us on this is 
is our church right and all the other churches wrong? Does that make sense? Like, is, is the way that we're doing it right and everybody else is wrong? Um, and I think that's one of the sides. Like, there, there's an aspect of the art project example that I was trying to use that's a way of saying, like, let's not make it about that. There's another part of it that's saying, um, now, don't you come and tell me that anything that my daughters make for me isn't beautiful, right? <laughs> there's a part of that that's like, well, what they did to honor me, what they did to love me, what they did to express themselves to me, I love and accept and appreciate as father. And, and it doesn't matter to me to some extent that it's kind of a ridiculous thing they made, right? It doesn't matter to me to some extent that I got to relace my shoes uh, before I go out again. It doesn't matter that I have to dismember this thing. And maybe like there is a purity to it. And so it does leave some space for saying like, um, the different examples. So hopefully that's what you were kind of asking there. I definitely, uh, I appreciate that question. And I think anytime we can tap into that part of this conversation, anytime I can say, hey, we do the things that we do the way that we do them, because we feel like it's the best way for us to pursue God together right now. It's not because we think everybody else is wrong. It's not because we think everybody who doesn't do it the ways that we do it is wrong. Uh, we actually just like, this is our art project, you know, like we're just trying to, we're just trying to make a little glittery whale. Um, for God and just try to connect with this to the best of our abilities and then as much as we can, we're also asking like, okay, so I know this whale I made you isn't exactly what you wanted. Could you clarify for me? Could you help me, you know, make something better? Could you help me do something? Do you get what I'm saying? Like that's all we're, that's all a, a church community like this is for us. Anybody else have a thought on this? I know this landed in such a heavy way. I was I was preaching real hard there for a second, so maybe it's not a the kind that we're going to have a whole lot of questions afterwards. Um, okay, I'm going to wrap up then, because I'm real. Bill, you have something you want to share. <laughs> Yeah. That's man, Bill. That's the that's a question I was hoping was coming. All right, and I don't have a response to it. It really that's uh, Bill was in the video today, playing the bass today, and then throwing in this question right here at the end too. Um, <laughs> are they halfway there? Um, I would say yes. I would say that that's a you know it's a obviously we're we're boiling down something really big and something we don't really know all the answers to to some to a simpler like uh, we're making it mathematic again right halfway right <laughs> here's half here's half God wants and then he another he also wants that other half. I would say the other half though is not really the ritual, not really the song, not really the risen church is not about the rituals and the songs. Risen church is about communion. So any any church uh, at its best. And, and really every church does, every church I've ever been a part of has this at some level. It's just other things that we can also become about. Every church has at some level communion with each other and with God as our goal. So I would say when you take God out of the equation or, or the, the issue that a Samaritan might run into, you know, another step, like Jesus is talking about what does God actually want from me? What does love actually look like in God's eyes? What does caring for It looks like this. You might these people who don't even believe the same stuff as us. But there's another piece of the puzzle um, whenever it comes to being in communion with other people who are trying to do the same thing. 
and, and being motivated by Jesus as the ultimate. And Jesus isn't even saying, he's not vouching for everything the Samaritan believes. He's not saying the Samaritan is right about everything. He's just saying, you're all wrong about most of it. The Samaritan at least got the love part right. That's what the Good Samaritan story really is about at the end of the day. He's saying, like, you guys make it about your ritual and your religion, and you got part of it kind of right. You're at least, you know, looking to the right source of things, but you're missing this huge part that this guy over here, you could learn from him. You could learn from this other half. So I, I would say, you know, I don't, I don't know. Again, I'm glad you asked that question, even though I don't really have a, a fully formed response to it. I do think there is another piece of this where the ritual, the religion, the, the songs, the prayers, the, the Sunday morning thing, the sermons, it does kind of connect us in a way that is a necessary other piece of the puzzle. But it's not the whole thing. Those things, everything that we do, like Jesus doesn't say none of this matters. He says this whole thing is about that. So it's not to say this doesn't matter what we're doing here. It's just to say let's always be really, really careful to remember that what we do here and outside of here and what we do to serve and love our neighbors, that it's actually about that. You know, and... and, and and who we vote for. Let's go ahead and throw it in. And the things that we think, the laws that we think should be passed should ultimately, if we really want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, should ultimately be surrendered to what is best for the people that God loves. What is best for everybody? And we're going to arrive at different conclusions for that. And that's totally okay. That, but that's the only way that we're going to be able, this isn't, um, you guys aren't actually on opposite ends of the aisle, the, but there is an aisle right here. So I'm gonna, this, is, this is how, though, we're actually going to be able to interact with each other and love each other on the other side. If I can look at my brother, <laughs> this is literally my brother right here, it's not just me being preachery. If I can look at my brother and I can see that he arrives at some conclusions differently than me, even if they're political, um, even if they're, uh, they're really big deals to me, but he arrives at them because he thinks that his solutions are the best way to love people and the best way to care for people and the best way to help the most possible people, then I can at least say, okay, well, he arrived at that. He arrived at a different conclusion than me, and I still think he's totally wrong. Now, I don't, we don't even talk this kind of stuff mostly. Mostly we just high-five and, um, and try to come up with funny things to put on videos. But... Um, if I can come up with that, and I'm putting him on the hot seat because I know he can handle it too. Um, <laughs> if I can come up with that, man, that could make a difference. That, could, that is, I think, what Jesus is calling us to. He's not saying get it all right. He's, not, he's saying you, there's no possible way you can get it right. Just make sure that your heart is about loving people. And so as we enter into you know, an election year, I know, and I'm not going to talk about that very much, but except for when it needs to be talked about, except for whenever it needs to, like, come back around and say, hey, there are, other, there are people on the other side of things, there are people with different opinions than you who arrive at those opinions because they really care about people like you do. So looking at people on the other side and saying, clearly you want that because you hate people, that's just not helping. It's not. It's not making a difference in any way. I think us having some level of humility about these things is really some of what Jesus is calling us to. Um.